0: on Local Now, Channel 525.
1: Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church.
0: Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. And that's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And we're in a series called Outside the Circle and a Faith Gone Viral. You know, from the beginning of Christianity, this faith movement spread like a virus. It went viral. The Early believers had certain qualities that led non-believers to change their mind and join the faith. Today, Pastor Sean will talk about those qualities and show us how we can live consistent with those qualities today. The message is called Show Me. It's time for Real Life Radio.
1: If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The series, again, is outside the circle, Faith Gone Viral. We saw last week our faith is designed to go viral. Acts one eight, Jesus said, But you, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. And he says witnesses and that idea of person to person telling our story, that's how this thing spreads, person to person. And he said it would start in Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This faith was designed to go viral. But we've seen that at least in North America and in Western Europe, it's not. In fact, it's kind of gone the other way. There are places in the world where our Christian faith is still spreading virally. But it's not just not here. And we saw that it's not really the faith that's changed. There's still a need. It's not like everybody's a Christian, so there's no need anymore. No, what we saw is that what's changed is us. And our main point was viral faith requires infectious believers. Viral faith requires infectious believers. We highlighted a few ideas. You can't spread what you don't have. In other words, to be infectious, you've got to be infected. The Holy Spirit has to come on you. There has to be that sense of truly experiencing the grace and the peace of the gospel. It's got to be real to you. We saw you can't witness what you haven't seen, and we talked about our stories. And if you have a story, it's powerful. Tell it. If you don't have a story question is are you willing to let god give you one because he wants to he wants you to have experiences with him his life the faith and then we saw the gospel can't go where we won't go for the gospel to spread virally that person to person spread it has to go person to person and so wherever god asks us to go whether it's across the office across the street across town or across the world doesn't matter we got to go There's that idea that I must be willing to cross those barriers, those boundaries, go outside the circle, and share this life. Now, we had a great conversation in our community group because of this. We talked about our stories. We talked about sharing. And a thing started to emerge in the different ones in our community group. And it was actually fairly widespread in the group. And I'll bet in your groups it would be similar. And it was this idea of, okay, we want to share this because Jesus changed our lives, and that's an awesome thing, and we want other people to experience that. But what do I say? That was the concern. Okay, if we actually get into a conversation, what is it that I say? Because I don't want to screw it up. I don't want the whole work of the cross, the Holy Spirit, the gospel, 2,000 years of Christianity to be ruined because I said it wrong. And when you actually say it that way, it kind of seems silly, but... It does reveal a couple things, because this is pretty common, and I'll bet if I asked everybody in this room, I'll bet a lot of us would have kind of just that, uh, I just don't know what to say when the conversation comes up. Uh, it, it reveals a couple of things. First, our discomfort with our faith in contrast to how we are conversant in other significant areas of our life. I mean, th- think about it. Someone asks us about our work, we don't think twice, we could talk all day. Someone asks about our hobbies, no problem. What is it about the faith that locks us up? I think it reveals that we sometimes have an academic approach. We treat it like it's facts and principles to be memorized instead of something real, something deep. And so we want to say the facts right. We want to memorize the things right. We want to say it just perfectly. And so what I want us to do real quickly here this morning in 1 Corinthians 2, we're going to find out what the Apostle Paul said. Because if there's any guy who took the faith viral, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, there were others, obviously, But you've got to admit, God used him. He went outside of Jerusalem, outside of even Israel, and he began sharing the faith with the Gentiles. And it did. These churches he planted, the ministry that he carried on behalf of the church, actually went viral. We are a product of this guy's ministry. So the question is, if we're worried about what to say, what did Paul say? And in 1 Corinthians 1, he talks about the mystery of the gospel and how it's mysterious and and it's, it's one of those things, to some it seems like foolishness. And how God would use the, quote, foolish things of the world to confound the, quote, wise. But then in chapter 2, he gets real plain with them, and he says this. He says, beginning at verse 1, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So a couple things real quickly. First thing Paul lets us know is the right words are not the answer. Whew. I'm not going to screw up all of Christendom if I say it wrong. Good news. Good news. The right words are not the answer. In fact, if words were the answer, man, the whole world would be evangelizing. Jesus would have come back long ago because we got words down. We do words really well. We do words like no generation, no society ever to hit this planet. Think about our publishing. Think about media. Think about, think about access to information. Words, are we have in abundance. If words were the answer, it'd all be over. One of the frustrations for me is I really enjoy the study of what's called apologetics. Apologetics is just the defense of our faith, and it's rational, logical defense of the ideas behind our faith. Any of you ever ever heard of a guy named Ravi Zacharias? Great scholar, great Christian speaker, interestingly enough this morning, from India. Uh, And Ravi is a guy who I just think does a brilliant job of articulating in an educated and scholarly way foundational ideas, and defending our faith. Well, the reason we we're looking at, at Ravi is this week, my son Ryan sent us, you know, a clip from Ravi, something that he really thought was awesome. And so Lori and I looked at it, and then I looked at some other ones, and it, it's amazing how you look and you see, because a lot of times he's speaking at college campuses or different places with students, and they'll ask questions, have a and a and some of the best stuff he does is in these Q&As. And I just... Look, I can't tell you how many of these we saw where a student would ask a question, an, an, kind of an atheist or an unbelieving student would ask a question. Robbie would give this brilliant answer, and I'm just like, yes, that was awesome. Expecting that then the mic go back to the student and have him on his knees in tears receiving Jesus, right? And, and it didn't happen. And it's like the student asked, well, well, but don't you think this? And it's like he was, he was bulletproof. Here the truth had been laid out with proper citation with excellent articulation, in an extremely educated manner, and the kid was bulletproof. Video after video after video. And you realize, if even Ravi, the words aren't going to just make people drop. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do apologetics. I I think that's extremely helpful to us. Sometimes more to us and our questions and concerns than even to those outside the faith. But that's the limitation of apologetics, because words don't do it. Our, perfect prefer, uh, our perfection or our preparation is not the answer. Because Paul, remember how he described his condition? He said, I came in weakness, fear, and trembling. And you're like, was Paul just being modest there? Was he really pretty confident and strong? I don't think so. I think when he came to, the, he came to Corinth, saw how pagan, how broken, how messed up that place was. Their ideas, their philosophies all the Greek influence, I think that was a pretty daunting task. And I think he's telling us the truth. Weakness, fear, and trembling. Many of us can relate as we try to live and share our faith in this, seeming like this avalanche of opposition that seems to grow every day. He said his message was not in persuasive words of wisdom. Paul chose instead to rely on the power of demonstration. That's what verses 4 and 5 tell us. My message, my preaching, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit, In, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God, the power of demonstration. When I read that, it reminded me of Psalm 34, 8. I love this verse. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. I love that passage. Because the psalmist is like saying, don't take my word for it. You don't have to believe me. You experience it. You taste and see. You try it yourself and see if you don't find God. It would be amazing. That's kind of what Paul... And so if you're taking notes, I'd like you to please write this down. We've got note sheets in your bulletin. We've got the notes app. You you should write this down somewhere. And it's very simple. Viral faith requires less telling and selling and more tasting and seeing.
0: And we want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in this series called Outside the Circle and a Faith Gone Viral. That's found on the sermon page at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home,
1: God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River
0: City Community Church. And back to the message Show Me of Faith Gone Viral. This is Real Life Radio.
1: Viral faith requires less telling and selling and more tasting and seeing. And remember, last week we talked about the salesman approach. We got lots of telling and selling, we got lots of books, we got lots of words. But viral faith requires less telling and selling and more tasting and seeing. See, when it comes to faith like this, everyone is from Missouri, kind of. You know what I'm saying? Because when it comes down to it, they all want want you to show them. You know, Missouri is a show-me state. Wow, we have some fans. Excellent. Excellent. Somebody show her, please. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, you know the whole thing is show me. It's the show me state. I'll believe it when I see it. You see, we've got we've got way too much talk and not enough walk in this faith of ours, and that's what people are pushing back against. Now, next week we're going to talk. We're going to focus on the demonstration of the spirit and power because he talked about that. But this week I want us to look at the other demonstration that Paul mentioned. You're like, wait a minute, I didn't see another demonstration. Well, it's in verse two. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. Nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I think some people have been thrown by this passage. I think a lot of people have taken that passage to mean, yeah, you don't need to study any of the parts of the Bible. You don't need to to teach on anything else, but it's just that, just that, just that. I, I don't really think that's what Paul was saying. I think he's talking about a demonstration. Because listen to what Paul wrote in one of his other letters, the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8. He said, but God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the cross is the other demonstration. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the greatest demonstration in human history. God loved us so much, he died for us on a cross. And the reason it's so powerful is because people are made to be loved. They are hungry for love. They sense a deep need for love. I don't care who it is. The most vile critic, the most the strongest opponent of the faith, the persecutor, they have this inner need for, hunger and desire for love. That's why love is the most viral aspect of our faith. Love is the thing that caused and can cause again our faith to go viral. Now I want to talk real quickly this morning about three demonstrations of God's love. The first is God's love is demonstrated in the cross. God's love is demonstrated in the cross. Now when you look at the cross... What do you see? I mean, think about it. Think of Jesus Christ on the cross. People wonder, what's the big deal about the cross? This is, this is the center. This is the essential doorway to the Christian faith, to the relationship we we're created for. Well, what do you see when you look at the cross? If you see Jesus hanging on the cross, you're going to see one of three things. Okay, You're either going to see a criminal who deserved to be there, a scoundrel, a charlatan, Someone who obviously deserved to be there, and he is being crucified for crimes he committed. And it's possible that that's what you see. You look at the gospel, you read the stories, and that's what you see. I think that'd be, a, that'd be a stretch. But certainly on a cross, you would see a criminal. Or maybe you don't see a criminal. Maybe you see a deluded lunatic who's being crucified because of his own delusions. And because of his insistence on insisting he's something that he wasn't, and that ultimately he was so stupid it got him crucified. Maybe you see someone deluded and just insane being crucified because of their lunacy. But if you don't, if you don't see either a criminal on this cross because of crimes he committed, or you don't see a lunatic who's there because of his own ridiculous delusions... If you read the gospel and you listen to the words of Jesus and you understand what it says and you look at this, the only other thing you can see is unbelievable love. The only other thing you can see is that he actually was who he said he was. He actually did what he said he would do. And that on this cross, God himself loved us so much. He gave his life so that we could have eternal life. What do you see when you see the cross? Because I want to say to you, this cross, if we understand who Jesus is, the cross is the greatest demonstration of love in human history. It demonstrates that God loves us even though we don't deserve it. Because the whole point of that cross is he's not a criminal. He's not insane. He is on that cross, not for his sins, but for mine and for yours. He's on that cross as a sacrifice. That's why I Romans 5 8 says he demonstrates his love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for who? For us. I don't think there's a more graphic and powerful image of unbelievable sacrificial love. Jesus himself said, Greater love has no one than this. Then he lays down his life for his friends. Well, yeah? Now you understand why Jesus is my best friend, <laughs> why well, he's your best friend. I've, I've got some wonderful friends. But not quite like that. It's a powerful image. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story that brings to light and puts some skin on the truth of the cross. It actually tells of a father with two sons. And the younger son asks for his share of his inheritance before the father's dead. Okay, how'd you like that, dad's? Be like Ryan coming up to me, "Dad, you're looking a little long in the tooth. I'm not sure how long. Why don't we just get this over with? Can I have my half of the inheritance? Seriously, I'm still alive. Yeah, but that's day, that's day by day, Dad. Come on. It's iffy. I mean, you're in your 50s now. Please. <laughs> really, this, I mean, this, is, this wasn't done. An inheritance, you're not entitled to an inheritance until after... That father passes away, and you are granted that inheritance. But he has the boldness, the audacity, the foolishness, really, to ask for his inheritance while father is still alive. But in the story, Jesus says the father does it. And then Luke fifteen 13, we're told, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Make note of that phrase. He squandered it in reckless living. When he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, or he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I'm perishing here with hunger. You know what? I'll arise and I'll go to my father. and I, I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and he came to his father. I love this part, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. In other words, his dad was looking for him. Dad's looking for him. He felt compassion, he ran, he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, now note these words here. They'll seem very familiar. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you know what that means? It's exactly what he said before. He was rehearsing on the way home. You ever done that? Ever mess something up or something, and you had to have a hard conversation, and so you're rehearsing? That's that's what he was doing. He was rehearsing. But what I love about this is he gets kind of halfway through. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's like he breathes to say the last, last part, just make me like one of your servants, but he never gets that out. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, in other words, father's not even listening to that stuff. You can see he's got his arm around his son. And he said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Bring a ring for his hand and shoes for his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat, let's celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, he's found. And they began to celebrate. See, Jesus is telling this story to illustrate what the cross makes so abundantly clear. Father loves sinners. He loves prodigals. He loves those who have messed it up and are broken and hurting. Now, a couple things that I think are important in this story. The son understood that he was a sinner. The son understood he was a sinner. Understand, when he was squandering his property on reckless living, he didn't think he was a sinner because it was all good. He really, he didn't think he was a sinner. Otherwise, he would have stopped and he would have had something left. He, when he was squandering, when he was sowing those seeds, he didn't think he was a sinner. He was good. It was later on when that obviously led to its ultimate conclusion. And now a harvest of brokenness, of lack, of emptiness and hunger began to hit him. That's when he understood that he was a sinner. And that's when he had the desire to go home. That's when he had the desire to go home. And see, for all those who recognize how lost and broken they are and who want to come home, Father loves them and invites them back. That's our message, that's the gospel. Understand, to those who don't think they're sinners, the gospel seems like silliness. You know, hey, do you want to be saved? Uh, From what? I'm good to go. I'm fine. It doesn't even make sense. But to those who understand and who have sown some seeds and have started to have a bad harvest, relationships, fruit in their lives, brokenness, emptiness, the gospel is good news. See, Father loves sinners and invites them home. second message the cross makes clear is that Father's gone to great length to welcome sinners home. Every time we look at the cross and we see Jesus there, it's like, look what God did to take care of our sin problem, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could enter into a relationship with Father and we could come home. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so we could come home. But it's interesting, the story is not over. And we stop there too often because I think we're getting now to the maybe even the bigger application for us. Now, his older son was in the field, the other brother. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this meant. The servant said to him, Well, your brother's come home, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He he begged him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours, not my brother comes home, (laughs) this son of yours, as though he's not related, when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, by the way, everything he said was true. It wasn't that this was a false accusation, it was true you killed the fatty calf for him and he said to him son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours it is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found and see i feel like this part is maybe geared towards us because the question is are, are we that older brother ever what is our behavior Say to lost people about Father's love. Lost people who hear about the cross, they hear about Father's love, but when they come and they encounter Father's children, do they encounter the older brother?
0: Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio. As next time, we'll continue in this series on a faith gone viral, which is available right now on demand when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church. Located on Lookout Road right behind Watama Park with service times on Saturday nights at 5 and Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262 as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.
1: Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.